in the old Western European world, leaders were often seen as the top of the pyramid. You know, mm. we were the ones that were wise, that knew it all. And the more important the decision was, the higher it has to go in the hierarchy. Mm. And for me, Silicon Valley turned this whole thinking completely upside down because now I'm totally convinced and my firm belief is that the the answer to most of our questions does not lie in the company and on the top of the hierarchy, but it lies outside with the customer. So therefore, right. we have to train our organization to be close to the customer, listen and observe and translate that into, yeah, what can we do as a business to provide value to the customer? And then, as I said, iterative working, you know, try to change your business model to optimize your business model and just to adopt to what you see in the outside. Welcome to the World Class Leader Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world-class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high-performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high-performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. And today I'm very honored to have with me a good friend from Germany, so Hans Martin Hellebrand. Hans Martin is the co-CEO of Badenova, a super regional utility company with approximately 1,700 employees committed to drive the energy transition in Southwest Germany. Prior to this role, Hans Martin was managing director of the digital energy retailer Primo, serving 1.7 million customers throughout Germany and acted as the managing director of the utility full service provider Revolution. From 2015 to 2017, he set up Energy's Innovation Center in Silicon Valley, where he led several venture deals, innovation projects, and funding and scale a tech startup as a CEO, CFO. Prior to this, he had finance management roles within RWE's International IT in Europe. As Martin has also a strong educational background with honor degrees in management studies at international institutions like Stanford, Kellogg, Northwestern, and WHU. For the more, he has also awarded IT Executive 2016 by the CIO magazine. Wow, that was really interesting. So thanks so much for being on the show, Hans Martin. Thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. You have a very interesting story, in my, in my opinion, because... Thank you. You you start in a very you know financial financial role, and then you you started really work on innovation technology to the point that you you know you really help launching new venture deals, the technology elements. You embrace Silicon Valley because you spend time there, and now you are a CEO, co CEO. You will explain a little bit later what this difference for a super regional utility company. So, tell us a little bit more about this evolution of your role of your career. Um, actually, Steve Jobs would have said, in hindsight, it all made sense. Yeah. So the yes. evolution, as you, you said it, um, actually really started 
by doing business administration. So I studied business administration mm -hmm. and I was always intrigued by commercial steering. So what we mm. in Germany and Europe call financial controlling on the one hand side and digital technologies. Yeah. When I started at the beginning at RWEIT, and I actually came there essentially because of, yeah, it were commercial roles in an IT company. But then during my, my um, career, so to speak, I got more and more in touch with the utility world, with the energy world, yeah, which mm -hmm. at the beginning of my career was not so much in, in my focus. But the more I learned about utilities, the more I saw that the utility industry has the opportunity and perhaps also the obligation to change mm. the world to a better tomorrow, you know, I um, yeah approached and progressed in this world. And that was then the journey of starting in RWEIT, doing technology for utilities, going over to Silicon Valley, where the task was more to um, focus on how can technologies be mm. used to inventing the new energy world, so to speak. And then coming back to Europe into the current role where I now have the opportunity to actually apply all the things that I learned, applying new technologies in order to do and drive the energy tr transition. So in hindsight, you know, the whole journey that I had actually made totally sense. I know. And as I always say, you know, gr great careers are never linear. And oh. <laughs> uh, when we go through that, then we realize actually how good the past experiences have been for us and helping us to shape our leadership, to shape our role as well as our future. So I always say, you know, embrace the opportunity because you you don't really know where they're going to take you. And most of the time they take you in a very good spot. So that's amazing. The other question I would like to ask you about your career, because um, <clears throat> the reason why we know each other, just to, to, to give a little bit more context to the audience is mm -hmm. because I had on the show a good friend, actually, you know, yes. uh, 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 Smart, and it's another brilliant mind. So Andreas Berger, and you joined together from Winterschall uh, Ventures, in, uh, you know, yeah. a German company. Um, you shared the American experience. So as you just explained, so you went to the Silicon Valley, you explored technology, how driving technology in a, in a conservative industry like energy. So what has been your major learning moving to Silicon Valley and then also returning back to Europe? So because we have a, such a different way to do business. So there are some specific takeaways that you would like to share with the audience. Oh, yeah, sure. There was a lot that I learned in Silicon Valley. And essentially, it was demystifying modern leadership and agile thinking. So what I actually learned in California was that in today's VUCA world, and this VUCA world is also now really approaching industries like yes. the utility industry, for sure. It is super important to act, you know, to... Uh, embrace the change that we see, embrace the challenges that we see, and actually start acting in a very iterative way of working. So mm. this hands-on mentality, this opportunity-seeking mentality of the United States and of startups doing business in the digital world, that is something that actually changed my, my mindset also now for the role that I'm in today. So, so uh, you so in other words, you have been able to embrace your learning from, from the Silicon Valley into what you do now. So Absolutely. has your approach as a leader changed, in other words, after your experience in Silicon Valley? Oh, tremendously, tremendously. I think, um, you know, when it comes to my learnings in Silicon Valley, you can really summarize them as getting to know the essence of humble servant leadership. Because mm. in today's world, 
or let's put it that way, in the old world, in the old Western European world, leaders were often seen as the top of the pyramid. You know, mm. we were the ones that were wise, that knew it all. And the more important the decision was, the higher it has to go in the hierarchy. Mm. And for me, Silicon Valley turned this whole thinking completely upside down, because now I'm totally convinced and my firm belief is that the the answer to most of our questions does not lie in the company and on the top of the hierarchy, but it lies outside with the customer. So therefore, right. we have to train our organization to be close to the customer, listen and observe and translate that into, yeah, what can we do as a business to provide value to the customer? And then, as I said, iterative working, you know, try to change your business model to optimize your business model and just to adopt to what you see in the outside and this thinking of course is something that you know also puts the leadership role completely upside down and that totally. was what i learned in california yeah totally is a is a completely mindset mindset shift uh, and i do agree with you and it's funny because it sounds so obvious what you said in terms of um you know changing your approach making sure that your team is helping you to get your idea. It's not just, you know, up to the leader, make decisions. It sounds so obvious again, but it's not so common because we still see a lot of organizations, not just in the energy industry, to be fair. They're still very hierarchical, very yep. structured, where it's so difficult to go to one layer to another. And then all the responsibility lies on the CEO and poor CEOs. They're, they're suffering as well while they're doing, they're going through that <laughs> difficult journey. But, you know, if you ask me, it's because it's so simple and it's yeah. so much easier. And, you know, um, yeah, there is a comfort that there is somebody in the hierarchy up there who decides it all and who to, takes care of it all. And when it comes to me, uh, or to my understanding, to the new way of leading a company, it's all about, you know, making people accountable, first mm. of all, but also, you know, giving them the ownership for a topic. And that has mm. a lot to do with me as a leader, you know, allowing somebody to step up in a role where he or she takes accountability and then also designing an atmosphere where this accountability can be taken by the other one. And I think that's yeah. the essence of, of course, you know, turning the leadership upside down. And that is, of course, something which is very uncomfortable for leaders because I have to let go to a certain extent and I have to trust and I have to, you know, put decisions or give the power to decide to somebody else yeah and it's I, actually i do agree with you 100 percent. you hit the nail here and uh, <clears throat> it's funny i had a conversation with the leader a few weeks ago mm -hmm. it was just a coffee conversation and uh, she shared with me something very interesting she said that i don't know where to put the line between what is my responsibility to help to support to manage my team and when is actually the time to step back and yeah, not yeah. be involved myself. It's really a very fine balance, right? Because you have to find a way oh, to is. stay there all the time. It is. And it's, it is something which you which you can't learn from the scratch. And there is no yeah. gold, silver bullet. You know, you can't say it's always that way. And therefore, it has also for me a lot to do with vulnerability. Mm. Me as a leader, I have to accept and I have to communicate that this is also uncomfortable and new for me. And perhaps I have to also invite my teams on eye level, so leading on eye level to say, let's figure it out. I don't know what the right amount of accountability and responsibility might be. Let's try something. Let's agree on a way of working. And then 
Again, we are back to Silicon Valley working styles. Let's do it and let's reflect later on on whether this worked or not. And I think this is the kind of, let's say, dance which you as a leader have to do with your teams in order to yeah. come to this perfect harmony, so to speak, yeah, in leadership. I love that. It's really dancing in the moment, dancing right. and making sure that you can, you know, when is the right time to make one step forward and then one, one step backwards. But as you said, is also getting help from your people. And I love what you said, actually, because you made me thinking a lot, because sometimes, you know, I think people, they, they refrain of, from offering help to the CEO because they're thinking maybe, well, this CEO will tell me what I need to do. They're going to give me goals, objective, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. But this idea of actually involving and participating together with the team on how, what to do and how to do it. I think it's amazing. And it, it says a lot about your leadership style, of course. Um, as Martin, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about your company. What's the goal of Badenova uh, right now? So what's, you know, what's the, the value proposition of the company, but also yeah. what's the future? How the future look like for the company? Um, I hope the future will look brilliant for the camp company that let, let me start with that one yeah <laughs> um no now honestly so you mentioned it before um we are a super regional company here in the southwestern part of germany and actually um we aim for you see it here in german words in the background we aim for driving the energy transition in this part of germany mm -hmm. so we are very regionally focused here in, with the company and our idea is actually that energy transition has to be developed bottom up rather than top down. So we are convinced that by creating a sustainable energy system here in the region, we are able to actually shape a better future. And then of course, we are also able to adopt this model that works here around Freiburg. Now that is the area where we essentially operate, that this model is also something that can be copied around the world. But it's a decentralized, let's say, aiming for driving the energy transition. You mentioned it before, we have a quite large area that we operate in. So it's uh, really, let's say, half of Baden-Württemberg. So one of the, the um, areas here in Germany. And beautiful area, by the way. Beautiful. A very beautiful area and an area that is also very much known for good, sustainable life. Mm. So here, the people, our customers are very much driven also by you know, creating a better future. And therefore, of course, for us as an energy company, it's fairly good to actually drive energy transition, having such a customer base and so much yeah, backing from our surrounding. Right. Okay. So th th that's, that's amazing. And um, you mentioned before the, the importance of being close to the customers. So yeah. their approach on customer mm -hmm. focus really how have you been able to apply this focus in the current company that you are now leading? So what's the difference, in other words, from any other company right now when it comes to being cust really customer-focused? Because that, I think, is a key key element of leadership. Many people, many companies say, you know, we put customers at the core, but in reality, right. they don't, right? So how do you do this in Badenov right now? So we do it um, in many different ways because we have a quite large variety of services that we offer yeah? perhaps to go a little bit into that detail first we have products and services for end consumers for example but we also have large infrastructural products and service services which aim more for municipalities as our customers and therefore customer centricity in our case is very very 
broad from okay. the perspective. And that means we don't have a silver bullet or one approach that we take in order to be customer centric. But what we do is actually we encourage all our business units to be close to their customer, whether it's an end consumer or whether it's a municipality, just to be very close to the customer. And then, you know, being focused on what a pain or gain could be. So being, first of all, making everybody aware, listen to the outside world and look for pains and gains of that customer face. Right. For then taking these pains and gains into the company and starting to ideate what can be a service, what can be an offering that we as Badenova can bring to the table in order to actually increase the gain or decrease the pain for the customer. And then what we do is actually, we have some structures here. We also have an incubator here in our Badenova structures that allows that our business units can go with their ideas to these specialized colleagues that, you know, train them in design thinking, prototyping, and actually doing fast iterations, fast product development. But at the end, it's, you know, again, back to the business units to then put it into action with mm. their customers. And understand. Well, that's great. It so- sounds really an interesting approach. All right. Another but question. Perhaps if I can add something to that, sure. you see that I, I talk now a little bit, I, I talked a lot now about methodologies and structures and tools. I think the essence is something that we touched base on before. The essence for all of that is we have to stress, we have to emphasize in every day's leader work that the answer to most of our questions lies with the customer. So that is something uh, that I want to put really at the beginning. It's something that we as leaders have to repetitively stress and emphasize that people are encouraged actually to create this mindset of saying, okay, I look to the outside world and not so much to the inside world, not so much to you know the past, but more to the presence, to the future and to mm. the outside world. And that's a large part of the new leadership. Um, yeah, you can say new leadership tasks that we have to have in this VUCA world, creating this mindset by repetitively reminding people the answer is outside with the customer. Yeah, I love that. And mindset drives performance. So if you don't change mindset, you will never change performance. So as Martin, the other question I have for you is having this role as a co-CEO, what does Mm -hmm. really mean for you and for the organization? Um, Or for me, it means a lot. I mean, mean for me, it first of all means that I'm not alone at the top of the company. Let's put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) So that means that leading this organization is something that we also do in a team approach. And that is for me super important, especially in times where you have this VUCA world outside, where you have this dynamics that we currently see in energy, you know, with the Ukraine crisis and then spilling over to Europe by energy crisis. There it helps a lot that you know that you steer the company jointly with somebody else. You know, you share the responsibility for the company and you have a team approach. You have somebody you can, you know, exchange ideas with and you can, yeah, iterate on the strategy and the future of the company. That is like a sounding board, really, right? So you you complement each other. Is that right? That is exactly the point. Yeah. So we complement each other and we are in it together, so to speak. And therefore, it makes it much easier to react to all this, uh, yeah, let's say dynamics in the outside world. And does it create any sort of potential 
overlap or risk of having the same role and, and, and not, maybe not giving the same level of clarity internally because maybe people... No, it, it, sure. I mean, in this constellation, on the one hand side, you have, you have the advantage of being in it in a, in a team setting. So two people, you know, taking jointly um, care of the company. But of course, you have to also keep an eye on being clear towards the company, to the inside of the company, but also to the outside. And therefore, of course, we have to align a lot on which topic do you want to drive as a in or where you, do you want to sit in the driver's seat? What is the topic that I go for in the lead? Yeah, so that also in the organization, it is clear, we don't do the similar stuffs, but mm -hmm. you know, everybody has an area of focus on the one hand side, but there are some things that are so important that we do jointly together. And that is, of course, something where we have to keep an eye on not, you know, um, creating confusion by being on the same topics, you know, me saying we have to go to the left in a specific topic, and then my colleague coming over and saying we have to go to the right. Therefore, it's super important to align as a co-CEO team to really say who is in the driver's seat for which topic and where are we in the driver's seat jointly and then what is the message that we want to convey. But overall, again, I think the most brilliant ideas and um, inventions and innovations did not come from one single person. Totally. In my firm belief, they always come from, you know, different persons, personalities coming together arguing, discussing, you know, fighting on topics. So a good exchange with edge and tension, but also a lot of similarity. And then normally that is my learning. What comes out of it is most likely much better than any invention and any innovation or any decision that only one person would have made. Because it's always, you know, you have more perspectives involved. You have uh, other ideas involved. And that's for me the beauty of a co-CEO and team leading model. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious, by the way, that was your original idea, or that was uh, there was a role that was already created, and then you you fill it. And uh, if you were in, involved in the decision to have this co-CEO role, does it really come from the principle of the startups where we have the co-founders, mm. or is completely unrelated with that? No, actually, I mean, it was our supervisory board who, that decided to actually go to this co-CEO model. Okay. But I think it was, in this case, essentially people-driven. I mean, they were sure that my colleague and me, we were complementary and uh, right. complementarily, um, yeah, you can say, um, adding value to each other. So we were a good team that, that was uh, hired from the market. And then they simply said, I think these two guys each with their special focus topics. Yeah. So we are also differently or working yeah. differently. And also we are different personalities. We have different areas that we focus on, but the common sense and this common layer that we had, I think that was actually the driver for them to say, okay, we think you jointly leading the company will be the best configuration on the top of the company to steer Badenova into a good future. And yeah, that's, that's actually what we try to do every day. Yeah. Right. Well, that's super interesting. By the way, do you have a COO as well in your company or just to have the two joint CEOs? We have the two joint uh, co-CEOs, so to speak. But 
each of okay. us has different areas of specialization. Okay. So while I take care of the end consumer business, my colleague is focusing more on the infrastructural municipality side. And therefore, we have some areas where we actually act in. Right. So you have two distinctive teams, leadership team right. as well. Yes, I understand. Okay, that's clear. But nevertheless, it's not distinct teams. We steer the company right. with one leadership team and then, you know, having with a different expertise. Or, okay. I think that's an interesting model because, you know, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't see many companies operating, you know, with that model. And it sounds like it's working, it's working well. So I wonder there might be maybe other companies. Oh, it is working well. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure people in the audience, they, they will start thinking where they might probably change their structure too, to adapt something like that. So let me try to understand a bit more now, as Martin. So what are the typical challenges that you normally face that you're happy to share to, with us today? Oh, yeah. Uh, in these days, it's essentially how to go on with the utility business, how to go on with our company. That is the, the biggest challenge mm -hmm. that I face every day. Yeah, And then also, what is the role of leaders in this world um, to actually give guidance and to steer the company. Yeah, mm. That is the, the major task. Perhaps let's start at the beginning. We currently have the energy crisis driven by the, the Ukraine crisis here. And of course, while this is super terrible overall, what is happening in Ukraine and also super terrible, what is happening with energy, you know, related to that, this drives the energy tra transition. This drives the will to go to a new sustainable energy future. And therefore, it's now the time to, you know, roll up the sleeves and actually take action towards yes. energy transition. While yeah. this is a good movement that is now starting, it of course comes with a big question, what does it mean? How shall we do it? You know, how do we come to a better tomorrow by, you know, shifting from fuel-driven economy to a yeah, sustainable economy? And that is all something that is now putting a lot of question marks into the organization, how to make it happen, while at the same time knowing exactly what the direction is. And I think this uncertainty and this pressure to now we have to change something and we have to come to the new future, but knowing that the path is super uncertain, that is something that actually yeah, is driving my, my daily business. And then it's about, you know, encouraging teams, encouraging the, encouraging the organization that we have to look for the future, that mm. we have to go for a better tomorrow by doing the energy transition. And at the same time, looking to the outside world, looking to the customer, try something new, you know, do this iterative way of, you know, developing and progressing the business and service model and that on all levels of the company. So driving actually and steering the company to the high tides of the change, that is actually my day-to-day -day business. Yeah, and it makes sense actually a lot because essentially there are two parts of, if I understand what you're saying, of, of your main challenge essentially. One is setting the vision based on the future that is very yeah. unpredictable. So you don't know where, the, not just the industry, but all the markets are going. So making right. sure that you, you are on the top of your game on that. But then also is how to drive this internally and making sure that everyone is aligned with the vision and also with the future that you are building for the organization. Is that right? It's a good summary. Absolutely. It's a brilliant summary, but it's only now addressing the rational part, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So giving guidance where to go, encouraging, you know, to go this path. But of course, there's a lot of also emotional work involved mm. because we are all human beings. And of course, being in this stormy weather these days is also putting a lot of 
uncertainty on people. It also makes people afraid of what is, what is happening outside. It it also is a lot of growing and um, yeah self-educational challenge because everybody in every function has to do something new, has to try something new, has to step out of the comfort zone. And of course, there is a lot of people work involved in our leadership day-to-day -day business to actually, you know, get an organization of human beings moving and, you know, um, supporting them in their growth as individuals, as teams, but also as organizations. Yeah, it's mobilizing them, right? Mobilizing people towards the same vision, the same future that you are designing for the company. And you're right, it's really an emotional element because that's normally what change brings on the table, right? Because right. change brings uncertainty, brings frustration, brings fear. So I suppose your role is also trying to reduce, right? The level Absolutely. of fear from people, right? As far as I can, because yeah. I also yeah, have course. to accept that, you know, Everybody knows this Kübler-Ross curve, you know, mm -hmm. the change yeah, curve. The and six or seven stage of, of fear on change. Right. And we have to accept that and also have to take that into account. We are human beings. We go through these curves and we have to, you know, guide our employees, guide our teams through these curves. And we can't just ignore them or, you know, speed them up or simply detour them. But that's a leadership challenge to actually help, help everybody to go through this change as fast and as good as possible in order to be mobilized and in order to be in you know in this game towards a better future fully hearted so to speak yeah and it was interesting research done by one of the top consulting firm uh, early this year they said that uh, almost 60% of CEOs they think that their organizations are not able to cope with the with the speed of change, oh. the uncertainty that you know they are facing. So, and, and you mentioned exactly the same thing. So it, it sounds like you know um, you probably are one of them. I'm not saying that the organization, but nobody is not able to cope with the change. But you're facing this element of uncertainty. When you mention about going through the emotional element, that means probably that your job as well is trying to build confidence on people, making right. sure that the change is not going to affect them, right? right? Would you mind maybe sharing some example of your approach to to give people more confidence, to make sure that they they feel part of this change, they are not excluded? So what some some typical leadership, maybe good lessons uh, or practice that you, you put in place to, to help your people? At least I can give it a try. Yeah? So, because I it's don't a tough have question. a silver bullet either. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, but what I actually do is a lot of personal communication. So okay. really being personally approachable, you know, being approachable on eye level, actually actually listening to everyone in the organization and taking time for this kind of communications bilaterally, but also with teams and so on and so on. So really being awesome. there to listen, to communicate, to exchange ideas, and also to yeah, talk about the challenges to talk about all the, of the stuff that we just uh, um, mentioned before. So mentioning that we are leaving our comfort zone, mentioning that also for me, it's sometimes very uncomfortable and that I also don't have all the answers. And sometimes I also have some concerns and doubts. And I think changing, exchanging that on a personal level is then inviting 
teams and is, is inviting every human being to, to open up as well mm -hmm. and say, ah, I feel the same. And then, you know, taking this open atmosphere to say, okay, but we are the ones in charge. We are the ones that can make the difference. What can we do in order to, you know, step up in order to use the situation, in order to get something new done, always with the joint aim to make this world a better place. I think that is exactly the, the essence of what I do, this open communication and accepting and acknowledging that there is uncertainty and that we all have doubt perhaps, but then turning this into energy to say, guys, let's pull up the sleeves. We can make it happen because, hey, we are Badenova. We are the energy transition people here in this region. If it's, it's not us, then it's nobody else. So mm. let's accept the challenge and let's see what we can make out of that. But then, of course, always stressing and um, underlining that if we do something and we make a mistake yeah, and something goes wrong, it's totally okay. See that, learn from it, do something else and do the next step. That is also super important because... Not having the answer means we have to try things and trying things means also that things may go wrong and may go the wrong way, which is absolutely okay. The only mistake we are not allowed to make is just staying where we are and do nothing. That is a mistake. The rest is learning or success. Yeah, and, and Lorenzo Simonelli, CEO Becker Hughes, actually yeah. shared the same, exactly the same thing a few weeks ago in this podcast, saying, you know, the, the, the biggest mistake you can do is just sit and sit sit and wait so that's not going to to do any any favor to you great actually that you mentioned the word essentially vulnerability so that's that's mm -hmm. your approach be vulnerable be open to your people be the first yeah. to be open up so people they can also open up and and have this nice environment where there is is safe to to share is safe to talk right. is safe to 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 discuss and i think that's probably one of the best um, thing that you can do as a leader. So I'm sure that your people will be super happy to have you as a CEO because that's an amazing approach. Looking at so many CEOs, they think the vulnerability is just a mistake. So, you know, mm. it's, it's really fresh air. Uh, so music from my ear, what you just shared to me uh, as Marty. Amazing. The next question I would like to ask you, a little bit more personal, is yeah. it's more about your life as a CEO. I know you mentioned that you work in a, in a region that is also very famous for sustainability, for good life, etc. How much of that is into your practice, into your daily practice as a CEO in terms of how you deal with the, with the time, how you deal with the distraction, how you deal with the, your, your own personal performance? So what is your typical routine to improve your personal performance? That is, that is hard to tell. First of all, it's getting up in the morning and actually deciding to be on the right spot every day again and again you know i start my day by always making myself clear i want to be in this place and it's good that i have this job let's start there yeah i mean that's something that yes. i always pronounce because i hate so much complaining culture where people say oh i have to do this job and my job i always go up in the morning and say every morning i deliberately decide to do this job and i love my job so let's go out there and make the difference that is my starting wonderful for stuff then, you know, I do all this work with people. As I mentioned before, I try to be close to the teams. I try to be approachable. I try to be where, where I need it in order to support the teams and where people in my company need me to be. 
And that is essentially driving most of my, my calendar the whole day. But then in the evening, of course, there is also a part where I deliberately, you know, leave my work behind. And then I love playing with my kids, you know, because my kids and my family and also my wife, they are the reason why I want to do the energy transition. This is loading me up because I, I, I mentioned it before, me working in the utility energy, I have the obligation, but also the opportunity to design a better tomorrow. And wow. therefore, every time that I see my kids and my family, I really feel being recharged to say, yes, tomorrow we will do the next step. And that is something that I like in the evening. And then, of course, it's meeting friends. It's being very far away from the job. So leaving it behind and doing sports, going to the gym in order to really get another focus. So because I learned once from a good friend and a good leader uh, that you have to step out of the picture to see what is in the picture. And therefore, I deliberately try to have some time per week where I really step out and do something completely different. Take long walks in the nature, you know, and really don't think of what is on my calendar next week and what is actually the current situation in the energy and so on and so on. Wonderful. I love that. So what people don't know about being a CEO, because, you know, we know that CEO has, and by the way, I'm so glad as well that you mentioned that leadership is an obligation. And that's important to remind people. It's an obligation for people. They have strong work ethics. They know they have a responsibility, but they know also they have an obligation. I love when people say that. So, I mean, I do a lot of work with CEOs. For me, maybe it's not necessarily a surprise, but for many people, they don't really know what's the life of CEO because they see, I'm not saying a facade, but, you know, they see no. someone... There's right. responsibility, there's on the media, they speak at events, they take decisions. But what else we don't know about being a CEO? Um, I will start with one very operative point. People overestimate how much we actually know about what is going on in the company. Yeah. <laughs> so really, there is, okay. although you are working on eye level, although you are really um, trying to be close to your teams, you don't get the obvious information. Yeah. So therefore, a lot of times people think, hey, why is our CEO, our board ignoring this dynamic in the company? I can tell you in 80% of the cases, the board doesn't know what is going on because there is a very, very high, let's say, there's a huge distance sometimes to actually bring up topics from the company that don't work that well. Mm. And therefore, first point would be don't overestimate really what the board, board level is knowing about what is going on in the company or to put it the other way around, be encouraged when you see something which is not going the right way to go to your CEO, to go to your board members and actually inform them about that. Often they will say, thank you very much. I didn't know that. I now take care of it or I now, you know, take a look at it. It's what I call the open door policy, right? With the CEO. That the That's what you're supposed to have, right? Right. But use the open door policy, especially in cases where it's uncomfortable. Mm. But many mm. often, as I said, you know, you, you, you are not aware of what is really, really going on. Because there is still this distance to say, oh, but I don't yeah. tell it to the CEO. That is the yeah. one thing. The other thing is, I think we touched on it before. It's we are no supermen and superwomen. Yeah. So that means we are human beings as well. 
Yeah, so it's not that we do the lonesome decisions here and we are always very straight and we are comfortable with every discomfort and challenge and uncertainty. We are human beings as well. And therefore, we also have these feelings of, whoa, how shall I cope this, with this situation? We also, you know, have this need to, to exchange with our colleagues. Yeah, In this case, in my case, with my brilliant co-CEO colleague where I can go to and say, how would you do it? And the other way around, yeah? And mm -hmm. it's not the way that we are supermen and superwomen that can do it all and that are just safe and stable in this VUCA world. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, look, I, I think you're super right on this. And I think this perception about that CEO knows everything, that does have all the answer, is, is able to solve problems wherever they arise, it's just wrong. So they need people right. and people, they need to be involved in that. So we need to change that perspective because I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous for both parties. And let me add one more point. I think a lot of people have the perception that, you know, once you are a CEO, you have made it to the top of the ladder. So you have learned everything and you are the one who knows it all, the wise guy who is not developing himself or herself anymore. That is also not true. I mean, we are also leaders in our roles. And like everyone else, we have all a lifelong learning path. And this is also something, you know, you should acknowledge. Yeah. Also, CEOs do lifelong learning and progressing. Yeah. And, and and I always say that the great CEOs actually are those they are yeah. they don't get complacent. They never get complacent. They keep working on themselves and improving regardless of their title, regardless of their role, regardless of the experience they have. So that's the way to win. Right. So amazing. So fantastic sharing. I mean, so glad, glad actually that you know we had this conversation. So I want to ask you the, the, the really the last final three questions very quickly for for a quick answer because sure. I love this. So just as a as a summary of your career so far, is there maybe one single learning among many that mm -hmm. you are bringing with you every single day? My learning on my career path is you are always in the driver's seat of your life. You are mm. always in the driver's seat of your life. Mm. Don't complain where you are. Don't complain about the circumstances around you. You are the one that has to take care of making the best out of it to, you know, accept it, embrace it, change it, react to it. So therefore, my really strong learning is be active and be in charge for yourself because that is the essence for all the development either on per uh, on personal level as well as on business level as well as on team and organizational level you know i think yeah. the worst thing that you can do is being a victim and saying like oh this is happening to me yeah something things will be happening to you but you are the one making the best out of it you are in the driver's seat of your life i love that and it's like when we hear people say oh this guy, you know, he had a you know, much faster career than mine. He's been lucky or, you know, someone. But you're right. You, you are responsible of your action and your own results. You have to own your own results in life. So right. I love that. On the other end, is there maybe something different than you would have maybe done in your career? Or you feel that everything, maybe given what you said before, not having a career linear, actually was an advantage for you? Um, actually, the latter one. So I actually have to admit, I always followed my my gut feeling and my curiosity. And mm. um, 
I wasn't driven by a career plan or something like that. So therefore, you know, I didn't look for a linear career or something, you know, stereotype, but I just followed my curiosity. I followed my gut. I always aimed for learning experiences and growth experience. And actually looking back from today's perspective, this actually formed a fascinating, interesting life so far. And there is nothing I regret and there is nothing I would do differently. So I'm in a very happy position, as you can hear from that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that sounds great. It sounds like you are happy. And that that's I am. and that's super brilliant. So last question about learning. What has been your major source of learning? Is by reading uh, or by listening? And if it's reading, is there any book in particular that made a, a huge impact or not on your life or career? Um actually the main source is exchanging with people with okay. all kind of kinds of people and um i really mean with everyone because i think we can learn so much from everyone so it's not only aiming for you know high class ceos or talking only to businessmen but it's talking to a lot of people and just understanding what they do how they see the world that is giving me a lot of inspiration that is giving me a lot of uh, new perspective and that is actually what drove most of my learning so far of course i have met a lot of very interesting people also with very interesting profiles and that boosted it but it was mainly learning from others in exchange you know over interesting topics beside that i nevertheless also read a lot and you can see also some of the books here in my background i can see some of them yes Perfect. And there is not a particular one which I can recommend because they are, you know, depending very much on the topics that you that you want to develop your skills in or that you want to grow, grow in. But reinventing organizations, for example, is something that I can only highly recommend for everyone who is interested in learning how organizations could, should, must work in a VUCA world. Wonderful. Just to pick out one of the very, very many brilliant books which are out there and we will put the, you know your recommendation in the show notes for those people that want to understand more about the book amazing so hans martin where people should go if they want to know more about you and your work perfect so the best way to reach out to me is via linkedin for example but okay. also feel free to contact me via my email address which i will also put in the notes and if you want to learn more about Bardenova, you best go to the homepage. There you will see our product portfolio, all the perfect things we do down here in Southwest Germany in order to drive the energy transition. Fantastic. So Hans Martin, thank you so much for being in the show today. I love, literally loved our conversation. You share such incredible gems. And so thank you so much. And, and thank you as well on behalf of our audience. Andrea, thank you very much for having me and thank you for having this nice conversation. Take good care. As this is a very interesting topic, I really would like to hear from you and understanding what you think about this. So please send me any comments either uh, on LinkedIn or you can send me via email at andrea at andreapetroni.com. You can find anyway these links on the show notes. And, um, and by the way, if you like what we shared, I strongly recommend that you to leave a review because, you know, as a podcaster, we live we reviews. So the only way for our episode and our podcast to grow is by adding positive reviews. So I appreciate that and also sharing with your friends and colleagues if you think they might be interested. In final note, I normally um, summarize the findings of each episode, even the ones with the guests. 
uh, on my website and I write every Thursday a very interesting uh, short summary about what we share. So if you don't want to miss that and you prefer uh, reading, I strongly recommend going to my website www.andreapetrone.com slash blog. You can subscribe there. I'm not sending any sales thing, just big good insights of my experience with the podcast and my work with clients. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and I look forward to seeing you next time.